What's up, everybody? My name is David Hardy Jr., the founder and CEO of Made by Change and your host of Penciled In. You could find me at DHardy Jr. on Twitter or Made by One Change on IG, or check us out on our website at madebychange.org. And hey, y'all, I have to tell you, I am feeling good today. I'm walking into episode two on April 8th, 2021, with my head held high and my chest out. Because thanks to you, we have had over 100 listeners to episode one. It's the little things for me. Now, I know that probably 75% of those listeners were my family. I love y'all. But I thank you all who had tuned in and came back for episode two, who told a friend and subscribed and left a review. I appreciate you all. But most importantly, I appreciate you all for being a part of conversations that will help us talk about the inequities so that we eventually get to action. So the people that are left out will also be penciled in. Let's go get it. Power on, power, power, power on. Uh, I uh, I think my leadership, uh, I think my leadership story starts with, uh, being a young black man, being a young black man that lived in two worlds. It's black down here. How the hell are we supposed to fight? That lived in two worlds. A young black man that lived in two worlds. It's episode two on April 8th, 2021, and we're going to dive into the world of sports, y'all. See how it connects to the world around us. Let's see where we can go. Earlier this week, UNC hired former player and assistant coach Hubert Davis to replace longtime coach Roy Williams. Davis was a four-year star for the Tar Heels, playing 12 years in the NBA before making a stop in the broadcast booth and then back to the University of North Carolina to be an assistant coach under Coach Williams the past nine. The hiring of Hubert Davis brought a black coach to the head coaching position for one of the most storied college basketball programs in U.S. history. UNC has produced the third most NBA players in history, most of which have been black. One you might know by the name Michael Jeffrey Jordan. However, for the first time in its history, UNC has just hired its first black head men's basketball coach, 18 years after the greatest player to ever lace them up retired from the game. Sorry, LeBron fans. And to think, many have applauded college basketball for being one of the best at hiring coaches of color. Right now, being the best at hiring coaches of color only produces, in a multi-billion dollar industry, head coaches and leaders of mostly young black men at a pace of 25% of the time. One in four head basketball coaches in college basketball are black, while over 56% of their players According to the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sport, the NBA was 74.3% black during the 2015-2016 season and 81.7% people of color. The study said that the NBA was 18.3% white, 
which was 5% less than the season before. The league was also at a record 22% of its league being people from overseas. The NBA touts the fact that 75% of its coaches are black, but out of the 30 NBA teams in the league, only seven have black head coaches. This, this just doesn't make sense to me. Too many talented basketball players who could be great coaches aren't. Most of them black. Why was that? I had to find out more. Check this out. Check, check, check. Check this out. Check, check, check. Here's the deal. According to the 2018 College Sport Racial and Gender Report Card, 53.6% of Division I men's basketball players and 43% of Division I women's players were African-American. As we dug into the numbers that indicated the successful graduation of those players, we found the biggest area of concern continuing to be the fact that white men's basketball players in the tournament field had a 13 percentage point advantage over African-American players. And the gap between white and African-American women players is 8%. Why is this important? To become a college basketball coach, there are a number of certifications you must have, one of them being a holder of a college degree. Some states go as far as specifying the type of degree you must have, sports management, kinesiology, physical education, exercise science, sports medicine, or physiology. Certifications may also require by the state to ensure that you know the fundamentals of coaching, first aid, health, and safety. Some states will also require coaches to have a teacher's license, like any other educator in the school system, or a specific coaching license. So the idea of our college players going off to be college coaches begins with their challenge of receiving their college degree. Ain't that a... This just points out that we go with what we know. Too many rooms where decisions are made without people who the decisions impact the most. The need to create pipelines with people of color is important getting more leaders that already sit in those seats to see that this is not a problem, but an opportunity is where we need to start. The opportunity to serve, improve, and recognize our collective humanity. And if basketball is a proxy to other fields, which I feel it's safe to say in this case, the systems that we expect to mitigate the inequities are actually just increasing or creating new ones. And as a result, the majority of leadership in America, who happens to be white, will continue to hire who they see and know rather than who they need and want. And more often than not, that is someone that looks like them, which in turn creates a little incentive to change the systems at play. It's black to plan out here. How the hell are we different. supposed to fight? I bring this up. Because if we look at our largest corporations, elected positions, and the heads of hospitals, law enforcement, and school systems, all of which directly impact the lives and well-being of people, we see a similar inequitable pattern. The same barriers and systemic inequities 
written and unwritten rules and the flat out common practices limit the fullness of diversity and the possibility it can create. Instead, we find the people who are most familiar to us. For white people and leaders, they are more likely to live and work in homogenous communities and therefore look no further than the people who they see down the street to work with them and work for them. What are the examples, you might ask? Well, here's a few. In a 2018 article from Modern Healthcare, it states that the diversity dial has barely budged. Hospital C-suites and boardrooms remain overwhelmingly white, even as minorities are an increasingly large part of the patient population. Only 14% of hospital board members and 9% of CEOs are minorities, according to the most recent study by the American Hospital Association's Institute for Diversity and Health Equity, the same percentages as in 2013. Minorities represent 11% of the executive leadership positions at hospitals, compared with 12% in 2013. The vast majority of hospital chief diversity officers, though, are minorities. At the same time, in education, the majority of our children in this country are children of color. While only 7 to 8% of their teachers are Black or Latinx, and only 2% identify as Asian, according to an Education Week article last year. To add to this, the percent of Black and Latinx school leaders barely hits double digits at 10 and 12%, respectively. Add to the fact that the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics projected that between 2014 and 2024, the white share of civilian labor force is declining, while the share of non-whites is estimated to rise. Yet we still see leadership remains mostly male and mostly white. If we just look at the history of Fortune 500 companies, according to Forbes, out of the 1,800 chiefs of companies over time, only 19, that's right, 19 have been black. Right now, Asian, black, and Latinx leaders make up 5% of the Fortune 500 leaders combined. Some might ask, why am I bringing race into this? Isn't this a class issue? No, it isn't. It couldn't be more black and white. However, for this pod, let's suspend the race issue for a second. Let's pretend for a second that being a leader of color for people of color is not important, even though statistics shed light on the importance of this. Corporations to school districts do very little to make up their deficiencies in leadership. Given the changing demographics of this country, more companies to school systems should recognize the need to shift how they lead and realize who they lead for. Strategically, organizations to ecosystems across the country should be investing time and money in building a strategic plan that will lead to actionable changes in how their organizations work, interact, and are led. With the well-being of people of color and all people in mind, at the end of the day, the inability to adapt to the changing demands and demographics we lead will ultimately take us to a place of organizational death spirals that we have seen time and time again. Netflix tried to give Blockbuster a heads up about going digital. Blockbuster said they were good with their VHS tapes. And now 
they're blockbusted. Barnes & Noble tried to work with Borders and hip them to the game of nooks and tablets that put books in tech, but they said e-readers were a fad. The only fad was, well, Borders. In a country where difference is growing abundantly and the acceptance of individuality is long overdue, companies are slowly realizing, from a business standpoint at least, they need to reach more people in different ways to stay relevant and adapt to their customers. With all of this said, some may say that this is not a surprise. But what is a surprise to me is that we have not spent a ton of time thinking about how to change this reality in our ever-changing world. Matter of fact, we're starting to make Blockbuster look pretty darn good. So the notion that people of color and leadership is rare and is not completely needed and institutions like UNC just hiring its first black men's head coach is ridiculous. But so is the idea that the systemic inequities do not exist in those institutions and are not alive and well. Because they are. The real work is to build strategic plans to tear down the sustained barriers and eliminate those sustained borders. Should we stop seeking the importance of black and indigenous people of color for leadership positions? Absolutely not. But it's a silver lining, not the silver bullet. Our country moves as the paper and the politics of capitalism do. For example, yes, we did see a change in our country's administration in January, albeit one of the most challenging transitions of power in the history of this country. Yes, we got a different voice and a lot less cantankerous set of Twitter fingers in the White House. But the vitriol has not lessened. It has just changed form. Matter of fact, the desire to come to the table to discuss our differences has only dissipated, let alone having more people getting seats there. If we look at the majority of policy brought to the House floors across the country since President Biden has been in office, states have taken more time and significant amount of energy to maintain the status quo rather than Netflixing and chill. State houses in 43 states have brought bills to change the voting capabilities in their state and the suppression of human voice through those measures to enhance the inequities versus mitigating them. Georgia, for example, has created some of the most restrictive new voter laws that are a perfect example of the divisiveness that inequitable policy can create. In a state, mind you, that just turned blue for the first time since President Clinton in 1992 really 30 years ago. Please don't tell me that was just a coincidence. So getting leaders of color to seats in present day America is important. But to me, it's also very incomplete. The idea of hiring a chief diversity officer or a director of inclusion is a start, but it's not the finish line. So what should well-intended leaders and organizations do? And what does this have to do with all of you? Well, here's three things that I would suggest you do. Listen, empathize, and act. The goal should be including voices with different perspectives that will create a deeper, higher quality position or product that will reach more people. Research has said that this approach not only lands better for people, but it is more profitable. To do this though, creating a position or two dedicated to Diversity and inclusion only means that we also need to support the organization with building a strategy to meet their goals for these positions and the organization as a whole. 
the need to shift policy, pivot from oppressive practices, and engage in equity in a real and sustained way is the way forward. To do so, we must do more than hope people change and strategically plan for it to happen. Start with awareness of the inequities that exist and educate yourself on the history of the inequities that stem from our country's racist history and present day problems. Empathize with the existence of the prevailing inequities in your ecosystem and find a partner to do an objective outlook or analysis of your organization and its systems to help shed light on the dark inequities that exist even in well-intended and what appears to be culturally responsive organizations. Then dedicate time and energy to build an equity-driven path and plan forward that is not fixated on a five-year timeline that strategic plans have historically landed on, but build one that is nimble and responsive to the needs that evolve as fast as a Kardashian Instagram post. Recognize the need to begin to plan for change is constant, and the opportunity to grow and get better will happen frequently, and we have to be ready for it when it happens. As hard as it is as a leader to suspend your fears and step out of your comfort zone, now is the time to do just that more than ever. Suspend those fears for well-thought-out strategy. The moment you stand on the edge of your comfort zone is the moment you start leading. Instead of being fixated on one plan, let's become fixated on flexibility. And that starts with holding up a mirror, not a microscope. Organizations need to seek help from groups like our parent company, Made by Change, who could help them do an analysis or audit of their practices and see where their inequities are and how they can begin to prioritize solving for those inequities. We will continue to talk about the importance of supporting leaders to address the impacts of inequities across industries and within them. A more just world is an equitable one. On and off the court. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but just for a second, imagine that you had $86,400 in your pocket. And out of that $86,400 in your pocket, you somehow lost $10. $10. Chances are most people wouldn't be too concerned with losing that $10 and focus on the other $86,390 that you have and realize that you lost 10 and move on. Now, I want you to think about this in terms of seconds in your day. There are 86,400 seconds in your day. And there is a good chance that in that 86,400 seconds of your day, there is going to be 10 seconds in which something or someone makes you upset. That coworker that makes you mad. Your child spills his or her cereal on the floor. You get that phone call that you really didn't want or that Zoom meeting ended kind of funky. Those moments. So instead of allowing those 10 seconds to ruin your day, and ruin the other 86,390 seconds. Let it go. Use your energy towards those that will value your 86,390 seconds left in your day and go be great because that's who you are. Let those 10 seconds go. 
Take care. I want to give a shout out and special thanks to our friends at Education Elements for promoting our pod and all who have retweeted, reposted, listened in and made the first episode such a success. We'd also like to thank freesounds.org for, well, their sounds and to add into this experience and all the great journalists out there that shed light on the inequities that I feel so lucky to bring to this conversation and hopefully help you all take action on. Thank you all for tuning in to the second episode of Penciled In and can't wait to get our third episode off the ground where we will begin talking about the inequities that exist in law enforcement and how they intersect with the inequities that within our local politics. Please like, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend. We're going to get to 200 listeners, y'all, by the next time we connect and continue this conversation. Stay great. This is Penciled In.